Hey guys, welcome uh, back to another episode of uh, IGY6. I got your six. I just wanted to uh, introduce myself, Andre Augustin, and uh, today we have a special guest, JC Buker, and we also have Dan Casey on the line. And obviously, we're not a big uh, uh, a big team here, so we're gonna have technical difficulties. And uh, yeah, I just want to show you guys. Um, our appreciation because we have 70 audience members till this date and uh we just appreciate all the love and support so let's keep it strong thank you very much everybody and yes, uh, thank you I, yeah i just wanted to um hand it off to jc buker uh we we were actually gonna wait for you to come on because we've had a lot of audience members requesting a female perspective and perfect uh, JC comes, uh, you know what, JC, I'm going to just, I'm going to pass it off to you so you can give your background. You're going to be talking <laughs> better. Okay. Um, hey, guys. Uh, JC, been in the military now, what is it now, guys, like almost 12 years. Um, mm -hmm. Was on my threes and fives with Ian, uh, Augustine. I think Ian was on our fives with us as well, wasn't he? He was, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... We went through basically our initial course. We did our badge ceremony together. Um, but I guess I'll go into before even I joined the military. So I decided I wanted to be a cop uh, while doing police studies in college. I had uh, lived abroad for a year, decided I wanted to do if uh, picked policing and security for no reason whatsoever. Uh, became a peace. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do. <laughs> long story is I wanted to be a journalist, but I did not have the math capabilities to go into journalism. So I became a what? policing student. Math. Yeah, you need I know. math for journalism? Okay. So I said, I'm never doing that math again. doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> and that is how I became a cop. I need uh, 500 words. What? <laughs> yeah. I always say no. I only need to count to two because I only have two sets of handcuffs on me, right? So yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I worked as a peace officer uh, through uh, city uh, enforcement before I became an MP. I was looking at different policing and uh, I really wanted to do like the mentorship and all that stuff uh, overseas. And uh, I had uh, gone to Montreal to learn to speak French that ended disastrously, but I'd been talking to a bunch of, <laughs> I still can't speak French, by the way. Uh, I was speaking to a bunch of people that were trying to immigrate into Canada, and it was during the wintertime. I hated how cold it was and all the snow, because they were coming from, like, Central America and all this stuff. And I asked them, okay, why do you want to come to Canada then? And they said, you don't understand how good you have it. And it kind of gave me a, a realization about how lucky we are in this country to be born here, and I kind of wanted to give back. So I ended up working for a former MP and he said, well, why don't you just become a uh, military police? And so I said, sure. And that's, uh, I guess the long story of how I became an MP. Oh, wow. <clears throat> you, uh, do you, do you regret it going, uh, as an MP? No, um, there's been tough times, but, uh, I've done a lot of, really interesting things in my life like um i guess i could go over it later but like i've done things like i've traveled the world i've uh, i've worked with the american cid i've worked with ncis um i've uh, gone to like countries like latvia bahrain egypt afghanistan all that stuff stuff that i could never have done if i'd stayed uh, and gone civvy I, I like traveling i like being posted i joined the military so i could leave home and uh now like i haven't been home in uh like eight years like living wise kind of thing so where's uh where's home? uh edmonton. edmonton yeah 
Yeah, sorry, we had a discussion before we started this podcast, and uh, I said a lot of things about Alberta. Sorry, I apologize about that. <laughs> it's okay. I, I hear it from people from Ontario all the time, and I never understood it. Um, all these like people from Ontario used to be like, "There's no water here. There's no lakes." And then I got to Ontario and realized you guys have a body of water every like five kilometers, and I'm like, okay, that is why being on the prairie is so hard for you guys. <laughs> I'll tell you this though, they have some uh, pretty good restaurants in Edmonton. I'll give you that. There's a lot oh. of uh, a lot of things to see there. Not yeah, so sure. like uh, it, ke- it keeps going too, right? Like every time I go back for a visit, there's a new there's a new restaurant there. I I, I miss places like the Melting Pot. It's like a, like that. I miss the Rockies the most though. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's probably the best part, right? And then Dane has got the Rockies there all the time, right? So he doesn't really yeah. care. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? You um, can snowboard in the in the morning, and then you can go surfing uh, in the afternoon, Dan. Yeah, theoretically, you could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I nice. want snow, I can drive to it, and then I can just drive from it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, we had a we had a little bit of snow uh, a couple weeks ago, and now it's gone, and I'm happy about that. Yeah. There you go. Um, JC, once you branched off to your own unit, um, what was that? What was that feeling like? Like after you left us? Cause you, I mean, I haven't seen you for so many years after, uh, our threes that we only met back. Five. What was it, what was it, uh, like to, to leave and just kind of be your own entity there? Um, I guess it really wasn't that big of a deal for me I'd kind of lived on my own before um we we had a pretty good group and we had a group of uh, people that like again we stayed in touch with and I know you guys were talking about it last uh last episode about like what a small world is and how connected we are and um doesn't matter like anywhere I go as long as there's like a military component I end up running into someone for my threes or someone that knows someone for my threes so it was kind of interesting leaving that small community, but there was, a, I think, a group of four of us that ended up getting posted to Edmonton. Um, Edmonton was my home as well, so I ended up getting posted home for the first five years of my career. Um, and I guess uh, I, I, I don't want to harp on issues too much, but like you guys said that you wanted like a, a female perspective. And one thing I did notice and uh, the other girls on the course did notice is that because of how segregated we are, I don't think we may have had the same bonding experiences that you guys would have had in your mod as well, right? There's always that degree of separation because we were down the hallway and um, a lot of times we just got texts telling us when to show up by the course senior kind of thing. So. It's kind of like what it is sure. to be a woman in the military. You're kind of part of the group, but at the same time, you're there, there's a little bit that separates you that makes you a little bit different, right? That's a good perspective. Did you find that you bonded with the other women that were on our, our threes? Uh, m- me and uh, Mary stayed really close. Like, uh, we've been friends for a while. Like, we were talking to Dan, you were saying that you uh, go out to dinner with her and stuff, and her wife, and... Uh, me and Mary have stayed in touch. Like I visited her in Victoria a couple times uh, over the years. And uh, when she dro- drives through, she used to visit me in Ottawa. And uh, we've stayed in contact. What happened in November actually made us realize that we hadn't talked for probably about seven to nine months. And so um, we ended up uh, starting to like text each other. If I, have, I haven't heard from her in a couple of weeks, I'll say, hey, how are you doing kind of thing. And likewise, she'll do the same thing with me. That's awesome. Yeah. I think uh, one of those things that you said there, JC, that you kind of didn't feel like part of the team. Um, I think that's that's one of the reasons why we all kind of got together for uh, different events, right? We, we've mm-hmm. always kind of included, I don't know, like just speaking of Dan and myself here uh, at this time that we we said, hey, come on over to, like, we did an Oktoberfest thing, right? We did... Yeah. Uh, Oh, there's so so many things I can't even remember right now, but um, starting off with Oktoberfest, I mean, we didn't even, a lot of us didn't even know each other at that time, no. right? We kind of went out and, hey, let's, let's bring some of the females along with us because they're still part of the team, right? Yeah, um, yeah. for the audience, this, this Oktoberfest was during our threes, and so we yeah, did this like on the weekends. So, right? Yeah, it was like a month or so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun, and there were things like that. It was about a month and a half in, yeah. So that's kind of how yeah. we got got together and we got to know each other a little bit more, especially sleeping on like the living room floor of uh, Mary's place. <laughs> Mary's, yeah, it was Mary's house. And, and then like the random adventures we had trying to take the bus to and from too. I remember that the, the bus stations. I barely remember that. <laughs> It's funny. I tried to do the same thing uh, about a couple of years ago, and it was the same faulty thing that I had encountered. Couldn't figure out the bus system at all. <laughs> you think you know? I don't twelve even years remember later. how we made it. Walking through fields and shit, like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, and that's and that's the cool thing about it, right? I mean, for the audience, I've even seen JC out of nowhere. Um, having it such a small world right at my brother's place having dinner and here he is saying yeah, yeah just a buddy of mine and his girlfriend are going to drop on by and uh that's okay oh here's uh his buddy and jc that show up and we're we're giving each other a hug going holy crap i haven't seen him forever and my brother's like what the hell what are you guys talking about <laughs> how do you guys know each other <laughs> it's like you have no idea yeah <laughs> way back well way back even smaller world. Um, so the only reason why I'm actually the, the boyfriend at the time is now my husband. And the only reason why I actually even ended up going on a date with him is because uh, uh, Andrew was actually his coach officer. He was his OJT. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andrew gave me a call uh, when Chris got posted in Edmonton and said, Hey, uh, my buddy Chris is coming in. Just say hi to him. He's a really good guy. Like if he needs help, just I, Andrew kind of vouched for him. And so I was like, okay, um ended up talking to him and i guess eight years later we're married there you wow. go. what a great yeah. connection there yeah mm-hmm. that's crazy um yeah so you didn't did you know did you know him while you went overseas uh no i met him uh just after i got back from afghanistan actually so i was was kind of in a weird place i guess because I, I got back uh, in the December, and then I met him beginning of March. So, Right. Um, it was kind of weird for you going overseas, eh, when you came back. You, you mind expressing a little bit of it? Um, so Afghanistan for me was a lot different than I know it was for you guys, and... Uh, I don't feel like I have a right really to, to complain what we went through. Like by the time we got there, um, everything was pretty much shut down. Um, we spent all the time in camp doing policing duties and then looking after. And uh, one of the biggest issues from like just the stressors of the work itself and um, I guess things that uh, within the, the platoon that we were dealing with uh, the stress it uh, we were working like 12 hour days we'd work 10 days in a row do a changeover day do 10 nights in a row changeover and uh, if we we're lucky we'd have an afternoon off every month or so um, wow. it, yeah. it was it was off but like like there were some incidents but for the most part like I was one of those like kaffirs I got to get my ice cap every day before I went and unless like we had a rocket attack and then Tim Hortons was shut down or whatever but it wasn't that stressful uh the biggest thing was is that uh due to I get things I can't really talk about we weren't really sure when we were going to come home uh we almost lasted longer than Canada's mission over there and I was one of three MP one of the three last MPs that flew out of Kandahar airfield um when we left so my big issue when I got home is uh, I, I don't really have to say a bunch to the people listening who's who've experienced it, but you get home and nothing's the same and everything's different. But uh, the thing that threw me the most is while I was on my deployment, they had actually finished uh, the Anthony Henday, uh, the ring road around Edmonton. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but everybody knew that when you flew into Edmonton, you were going up 97th Street, right? Because they had the yellow ribbons on the trees and you knew you went downtown and you knew the route that you were taking. I remember staring out the, the window of the bus and just seeing an empty highway that I didn't recognize with a bunch of flashing lights all around us in the middle of the night. And I was like, where the fuck am I? Like, I just 
I, I had no idea where I was. It didn't even feel like home anymore. And uh, it was one of those things where that was the biggest am i actually like home you step off the bus and it's like minus 45 degrees but other than that there's nothing familiar about it yeah i think uh when you say that you felt like oh yeah because you were in um in cath there it a lot of us get desensitized to a lot of uh the threats that happen there right so i mean for for the first couple weeks you're going holy shit what was that? And then you're kind of watching it back the whole entire time. And then mm -hmm. a month in, maybe even two for some, uh, you're looking at, you know, your target in sight and the target in sight could be a Timmy's and you're looking at it going, <laughs> I got Timmy's, but then there's like a rocket flying by your head and you're like, holy fuck. Now Timmy's is close. Timmy's. <laughs> yeah. Like what the fuck? I don't want that. Right. So they kind of lose focus on the fact that, you know what? It's still a dangerous area, no matter where you are, uh, and that's that's for everyone that's listening too. If you've ever been to Afghanistan, it doesn't matter what you did, what where you went. Uh, the point of the matter is that you still went there, and uh, you, you did your part, uh, and that's what's important. It, it affects everybody a little bit differently too, right? So it's it's funny you talk about like the desensitization because I remember um, one of my friends, she ended up getting married while I was over there and uh, she, and I ended up calling her as uh, I don't know, she was doing the whole bride thing and I managed to call her long distance while I was working. And uh, I was like, just, Hey, just wishing you like happy day and all that stuff. And they're like, Oh, JC, we're so worried about you. I'm like, Oh no, it's fine. And they're like, well, has anything happened? I'm like, oh yeah, we had like a rocket attack this morning, but, and I was in the shower. <laughs> I looked down and like the shower wasn't draining and I'm like, I'm not hitting the ground. Mm -hmm. And I made the conscious decision. I'm like, ah, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Gross. I'm not going to die in gray water. Uh, yeah. No, well, there's, yeah, there's certain situations. People may be kind of wondering if you're in the blue rocket, you're not going to get out of there. I'm sorry. There's no. nothing that is going to stop me from getting up. You can do whatever you want. I'm not getting out of here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After a certain point, it's uh, it's the care factor, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, definitely. Um, one thing I want to talk to you about: uh, Did it mean anything for you when I said? Because uh, I know you went overseas right after our fives, so we met up again on our fives. Mm -hmm. Already gone. Um, I went overseas right after our threes, right? So I. I barely did any policing. It, military was still kind of fresh to me at the time. So on our fives, um, here I am learning policing again. <laughs> Everybody else has done a couple of years of policing, getting kind of uh, tired of it. And here I am still like that new guy. Uh, yeah. Did it mean anything when I told you uh, uh, just watch your six? It kind of, it kind of stilled me a bit. Like I was kind of, I could see you were a different person, right? Like, and uh, there's a lot of the guys that you went on tour with uh, from Petawawa. They were there too. And I didn't know them before the fives because just the way the courses lined up and uh, just talking to them and then talking to you and you just saying like, fucking JC, watch your, watch your fucking six kind of thing. And you, you were like, you knew I kind of didn't appreciate it, but you were trying to get it through my head. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And, uh, but it did, it did mean something. Cause I'm like, okay, this, like, I know what he's talking about, but like, I can't just be like a scared little kid going, Oh, okay. Like I'm so afraid now. Right. So it, it was one of those things. It's like, Oh, okay. He actually gives a shit. <laughs> so it was nice <laughs> to be here. Yeah, well, for sure. Right. And that's something that I seeing everybody else kind of going, Going towards what what I've already done, I was I was always thinking to myself, oh shit, you know, nobody actually told me what it's going to be like. Nobody actually told me that, hey, you know, mm -hmm. months from now or seven months from now, you're going to be, you know, going to be a slightly different, right? Especially when you come back and you're trying to go through a Walmart and uh, trying to do a regular grocery run, you're not going to be the same, right? So, no. um, I mean, mind you, for some, it'll it'll take longer. Uh, than others to kind of super pass, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's and it's it's crazy how 2011, yeah, I guess 2011. It's been nine years. Mm -hmm. Years later, we got a show that's called "I Got Your Six, so it's kind of yeah. a pretty cool meaning about it as well. 
kind of goes full circle. That, exactly. Uh, Dan. Well, it, it, sorry, go oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Juicy. You're the you're the guest. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny you're talking about doing like normal things and stuff like that. Like I remember, um, even uh, like I was traveling in Greece, and I remember sitting on a on a bus and looking out the window, and I saw this like guy, and he's just just a normal like a Greek national, and but he started making these gestures with his hands that I, I I recognized from Afghanistan and like I just went what the hell is going on like I got super paranoid I got off the bus and I just like booked it like in an opposite direction like I had no like I was like where did this guy come from and I ended up getting on a, a train to Italy and uh this guy comes into the the train car that I was sitting in and he puts his bag on the, the luggage luggage rack uh, above like where he's sitting and he's sitting there, but just before the train leaves the station, he gets up and just leaves. And I, I looked at the bag, looked at everybody else in there, and then I looked at the window. And I was literally grabbing his bag to throw it out the window as the train was leaving the station. Came back in. <laughs> it's just, he. And the funny thing was is that this guy actually ended up being an illegal immigrant from, from Afghanistan that was seeking asylum from Afghanistan. Wow. Oh jeez, eh? Uh, yeah, stupid stories like that. I don't think it's stupid. No, that's something that, of course, you're gonna react like that. I think anybody else would react the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Here's um, you know what? And sometimes um, it sounds like. We're asking questions more than more than answers, but I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna throw this one at you. Um, okay. What's it What's it feel like to be well to go overseas and return? And as a woman, uh, obviously we don't have that many women in the military um, as opposed to males. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of a fact, and even in policing for that matter. Um, how how like what were your struggles behind it? I know we touched upon a couple, but uh, just an overseas. Um, I didn't notice it as much in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, it was your soldier, and maybe it was uh, good on uh, my sergeants and my warrants at the time. It was just like, JC, your soldier, that's all we count on, right? And uh, we were doing the same job. Like, the only difference was is that um, there were certain things that I couldn't do because, uh, I guess, uh, cultural things with uh, genders and stuff like that. But uh, I, I had more of an issue uh, when I went over to Egypt. It was, um, we did a lot more work with a lot more nationalities. Um, like I was working with people from the United States. Like they have a huge like uh, contingent over there for, uh, of Americans. Uh, I was working from people from like Fiji and Colombia and um, like yeah. New Zealand and Australia. And like, so there were some places like Australia and New Zealand that were very similar to Canada in, in like the equality and like how women are integrated into their lines. But then there were places like, uh, like in Fiji, there were really no women there. Um, and in the United States, like uh, the Americans were so bad that women were actually in separate shacks behind locked doors. Like, only women could have access to the doors and um we had a lot of instances like it wasn't a dry camp in egypt and uh at the time i was over there uh, as an investigator and we had a, a couple incidences of uh like sexual assault and unknown um the aggressors and stuff like that and i remember the base commander decided to decree that women shouldn't be walking alone at night Guys were fine, but women weren't allowed to walk through the base alone. And these are soldiers that he's telling this to. And he gave out um, rape whistles for women. And uh, and I like I remember I I've since been told it was a joke. Um, you you mentioned him last week. Uh, uh, the, the great Scott Duffy. He's probably one of the best leaders I've ever had. He was a warrant for me in Egypt, and he came and uh, put a rape whistle on my desk. And I looked at him and I was like, what's that? And he's like, well, the, the base commander says that you, you guys have to carry these. And I was like, I looked at him and I just like knocked the rape whistle off into the garbage. And I'm like, I don't care what the uh, base commander says. And he's like, and he's like, he, he looked at me and he's like, no, but like, 
it, it's for your safety. And so I stood up and I pointed to my gun that was on my hip. I'm like, warrant, no offense, but this is for my safety. And he's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been told by someone else that he did it as a joke and then got like was kind of upset because of how angry I got at him for it. So I don't know if it actually was a joke or not, but I remember I was pissed. I was like, are you like, and I'm like, you better be carrying one of those rape whistles too, Warren. Like I was livid, but, um, so I, okay. Again, I went off on a ramble, but just, I guess that's an example of, uh, the difference between like Canada, like we, we have t about 12%, uh, female population in the military. Um, but we integrate our females well, like in, in the Canadian shacks, I was, I had a room and I was in a, a hallway with a bunch of other guys, right? And all the other girls were interspersed with the guys. And uh, if they needed roommates, they had a female roommate. But uh, there was no difference between, like, male and female. We did the same job. We did the same kind of patrols and stuff like that. But it's not always the case in other armed forces. And it really kind of, I guess, having to work with, that, with these other nations that we kind of consider like ourselves... You, you really come to be shocked about the fact that, like, they're not like us, right? Like, uh, women are treated a, a lot differently. And again, it goes back to, okay, Canada, it's not perfect by any means, but it, it does have uh, a little bit more um, progressiveness to it when it comes to, like, women in the military and stuff like that. That's good to hear, though, that we're actually, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's not perfect, but we're still ahead of the game instead of... yeah going backwards um or all militaries all across the yeah. world can still improve but at least canada's you know you gotta lead by example not yeah one. like for example like canada we've had women in the combat arms since sometime in the 90s i don't know the exact date the united states just allowed women in the combat arms like i think a couple years ago uh but that being said, now in the United States, we have women that have passed like the Ranger selection, and now one one woman has actually passed uh, Navy SEAL selection. But in Canada, we have yet to have like a woman pass into like our uh, special forces like selection. We have a bunch of supporters, but we don't actually have any operators or door yeah. kickers that are women. That's crazy. I'm sure it'll change over the years, and you know what? It could be just. A simple thing like women not applying, not applying, or sorry, I feel like you want to say something on that one. <laughs> I heard that one. Um, Go ahead, JP. <laughs> I, I think, I guess you could you could point to it and say, yeah, women aren't applying for it. Uh, but I think it has a lot to do with um, whether or not women think they can apply for it. There's a lot to be said about like representation and seeing what we're capable of doing and giving us a chance to actually go, okay, maybe that is an option. Like I was never really told, Hey, this is an option for you until late in my life. But now there's, I think you're right. We're going to see a, a lot, it, a lot of it changing because now you, you see these positive role models coming through and giving these little girls like, Hey, you can actually do this. So you're going to have girls starting at an early age training and, uh, setting their sights on something that uh, for me growing up uh, in the 80s and 90s, I, I didn't even think it was a possibility for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's huge, right? And just even kind of speaking out about it, um, some other listeners that are probably not even military or even are military, they can kind of look into what, what else can yeah. I do with my career, right? I mean just just being an mp uh in general right that's that's huge um well, yeah no, one of the crazy. guys on my shift he was actually like my 2ic or whatever and uh he he was actually telling me that he wanted me to meet his daughter because he was trying to tell her that his sergeant was a woman and she's like you can your boss is a girl and like she was just absolutely flabbergasted yeah. he's like you don't understand like how much like she she was just amazed at the fact that i've got a female boss and he's like i didn't realize like she didn't think it was a possibility kind of thing right so it's 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 something you got to be cognizant of but it's again it's changing and we just need to be willing to see the change i guess yeah exactly 
So how's how's life been treating you now since you've been um, you've um, been back? It's been all right. Like uh, my career definitely went in a different direction than where where I was expecting it to go. Um, uh, I had always basically planned that I was gonna get back from tour, go back and do some more policing, maybe get an embassy, uh, maybe get another embassy, and like live the life that way. But um, I ended up. So I came back from Afghanistan, um, put in to go back to the guardhouse to go back on patrols and um, ended up mm-hmm. being put into the, like uh, the invest cell. Um, so I was doing uh, like court duties and like investigations. And then I ended up getting picked up by uh, the like major investigations part of uh, the military police, the uh, NIS. Uh, and I spent uh, seven years uh, as an investigator. Uh, I did investigations. I did uh, some current stuff. And I did uh, basically HQ things, like putting people on courses and stuff in my last year at the NIS. Um, sorry? That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. I mean, that's something that I've never actually experienced with uh, within the military police um, career. I've, I've only done the... Um, the patrolling side and then a little bit of an invest, but nothing, nothing crazy like that. That's really cool. Again, a lot of my experiences came from the, the NIS, like most of the traveling, uh, that was where my, uh, tour with Egypt came from. Um, met a lot of cool people, did a, a, a lot of courses. Like I've got a lot of civilian policing courses out of it. So yeah. Are you a lifer, JC? It is a loaded <laughs> That's question. a loaded question. Um, <laughs> We're not making I, you sign a contract or anything like that. <laughs> I think if I'm done with the MPs, I'm done with policing. Um, I think that... I, I know there's issues in civilian police forces. Uh, there's distressors and all that stuff. Uh, I like doing the policing. Uh, I've since been posted to a place where I can do patrols again, and I'm loving it. Um but if I think if I'd ever get to the point where I, I can't do the job anymore, I, I'll be looking to do like a, a completely non-law enforcement kind of job. Great answer. Yeah, I hear you. Like th- there, there's a lot of good things that happen. Like they, they might be stupid. It might be just like uh, a fun night driving around in circles with like someone else in a car. Um, there's a lot of crappy things that happen but um i think right at the this moment is um i'm more focused on i'm at the point where my job now is to be a leader and to take care of the guys that are new and coming up through the ranks and just starting their careers in law enforcement that's pretty much i guess my reason for staying in is to mentor them and provide them with the opportunities and the support and uh i guess just try to foster a healthy environment that uh, they need to get through their careers and go on and succeed with what they want to do. Yeah. That's a great segue. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah. So, um, again, like I, I'm one of those like nerds that likes reading a lot. And so <laughs> I read, I, I read pretty much anything from like, uh, like I'm currently reading, uh, uh the sequel to Extreme Leadership uh, by Jocko Willenick. And uh, I've read, like, The, the Anatomy Good. of Courage. And... Sorry? Good. Good? Yeah. Jock- yeah. Jocko like, Willenick. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I saw his TED Talk a couple years ago and uh, on Extreme Ownership. And it, it literally, like, like, it was like a five-minute talk or something like that. And just just what he said and the concepts behind it, basically gave me the ability to uh, hold my head up high in like some pretty bad situations uh, that I was going through at the time. And uh, so I finally got the book, read it. And now I'm reading, um, this, the, I can't pronounce the word, so I'm not even going to try Just a sequel to Extreme Ownership. Okay. Um, but I like, I, uh, like I read, one thing I really like is, um, if you guys heard of The Anatomy of Courage by Lorne Moran? No, I'm writing it down right now. Okay. So essentially, he was a physician in the uh, trenches of 
the First World War, and then he became the physician of Winston Churchill for the Second World War. But uh, back in the First World War, he noticed that uh, courage was an exhaustible resource within the soldiers. And um, so he was documenting uh, the stress reflex and PTSD within soldiers before we even knew what PTSD was. And he, he observed about how um, the soldiers in the trenches uh, differed from the, uh, the airmen in the skies and the fact that the uh, British Air Force actually had made almost like a science of their leadership, seeing guys getting to the point where they were getting, like, the, the, the stress was getting to be too much. Uh, instead of saying stress, uh, Lord Moran called it courage, like the courage to basically get in and do your job. Right. And uh, he, he basically said that it, it's the leadership's job to watch the subordinates and take care of them. And that there's a point where if you can catch your subordinate and you can catch them before they pass this like precipice, um, you can re rehabilitate them and bring them back. But he's like and he documented so many cases. He's like, but th there's so many times like if you ignore it and if you don't support the people that are around you, and you don't like get them the help that they need. Um, they're going to get to a point where you're never going to bring them back to the front lines. And so um, he basically documented uh, the first cases of like documented PTSD. And he went through a lot of cases where the guys just like would walk out onto the battlefield because they didn't want to deal with um, life anymore. They were just so afraid to even move. He said it was their depleted courage where it, we know it's not courage. It's just the, the, the stress, like your, your trauma and all that stuff. But uh, it really goes and it puts a lot of, um, I, I guess, a lot of like responsibility on the leadership uh, to basically understand that the people going on around around you and the people doing their jobs, like everything's adding up. And it might not be like one traumatic incident. It might be like it might be an OSI. It might be a cu cumulative uh, stress issue. But it's our jobs as leaders and i'm going to say that every single one of us here is a leader whether whether you're a corporal whether you're a constable whether you're just uh, a person driving an ambulance or answering a phone you're a leader in the fact that you're a leader to the people that are around you and it's kind of our responsibility to take care of these people and to create environments where they they, they can actually have a safe place or watch them if they get to the point where they need to be pulled back. Like I've seen so many people throughout my job, I've seen them change because of stress and they, they become different people and you watch it happen and you can see it. And you, you, you might say, Hey man, like maybe you should pull back or Hey man, do you want to talk to someone or anything like that? But I think like, I know I could do more for other people. And I know, I think that if we all made the effort to do more for everyone else, I, I think that it would be less of a battle um, for each individual, right? It, it's like a community kind of concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, I agree. So what does that, what, yeah, what does that look like for you on a day-to-day -day basis then, JC? Um, well, right now, like, uh, well, okay. Um, up until about a week ago, uh, I, I was a patrol sergeant and uh, I guess a, a watch commander, as you'd say. So my job would be basically corralling um, like a shift or two shifts uh, of people and giving them the tools that they can do to do their job. My concept of leadership is, is that I'm not supposed to be the one doing the job. I don't even have to be the expert at the job. I have to know who my experts are. And I need to remove the barriers out of people's way so they can do their job and succeed at their job. Um, I don't succeed unless the people below me are succeeding at their job. That's how I look at it. As a leader, it's my like my responsibility to, to serve them in a way that uh, basically allows them to continue with their career or do the, the one tasking that they need to do. Um, when it comes to stress, it's... There are some stresses that we can't we can't like protect people from. There's there's the going to calls, the dealing with the the issues like the lack of control of your life in the military. Like you're going to the platoon, you're going on tour, you're going to doing this. There's some things that we, we can't protect them from, but we can protect them from the other little things because sometimes it's not the big stressors like going to the sudden deaths or dealing with the domestic or responding to a car accident it's it's you get back and you ju you just want to you just want to chill you just want to deal and i'm the person that 
allows them that space to go, okay, you know what, you guys, take take a break. Uh, don't worry about this for now. And I'm the one that's doing the, the deflection of everything else to allow them the space to take a breath before they have to move on to the next thing. Wow, that's great. I try. Yeah. It's quite a different role now. Yeah, it's a different role that you're taking on, that's for sure. And it's, uh, it's quite impressive, um, especially seeing you from where you started and uh, where you are right now today. That's really good. I try. Like, I do make mistakes, but I think one of the, the biggest things for me is, as a leader, um, when you're coming into a situation, and it's it's even if, you, if you're talking to someone, it's always better to ask before you tell right so you, you hear something ask for the other person's side of the story before you start saying you screwed up and you did this wrong right because you only know half of the story and if, if this person's supposed to be on your team give them a chance to explain before you you lose your cool on them right mm -hmm. yeah so JC, we're going to do something new here. Um, we haven't done this in the last uh, couple episodes, but we have uh, some questions just from the audience. Some of them have just been coming in uh, as uh, okay. private messages. So we're not going to disclose uh, names or anything like that. Not even the, the, the uh, pretty much the word for word yeah. of how they asked the question. Uh, just a few questions here and maybe you can help us um, answer them. So uh, first question was, uh, um, should a person feel guilty um, for staying at home for about a year due to mental health? Um, is is it normal? Um, I, I guess I guess what they're asking is they're feeling guilty for staying at home for about a year because of mental health. Uh, do you think that's normal, or is that something that? Um, I, I, I guess, guess that's what I'm asking. In my yeah. opinion. I, I understand why they feel guilty because I, I know uh, like I, I I had to take stress leave at some point in my career and, and I completely understand what they're meaning about feeling like uh, guilty and like or taking the time off and everything. But I guess like is, is it normal for them to do it? It's normal if that's what they need to get better. Um, I don't think they should feel guilty. I think you should at the end of the day. If they need that time, they need the, the recovery, allow themselves to have it. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. I feel, yeah, I, I would feel the same way. Um, if, if they need the recovery, uh, even if it takes a year or two, shouldn't feel, shouldn't feel useless or no. lazy or, um, or guilty for that matter. That's, that's something that your mind is playing tricks on you and you should uh, concentrate yeah. on. Um, working on on yourself and, um, and 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 have the proper support either from uh, family, friends, uh, mentors, or even just uh, just listen to us. Yeah, and, and I, asking us yeah, questions. I'd so, add to that too. It's like, um, yeah, not only you know you could say your mind's playing tricks on you, but you could also say it's a natural reaction to the stress and trauma that you've been exposed to. Yeah, and um, and just like mm -hmm. JC, yeah. I mean, you've you've experienced some stress to your leg that's that's caused you to be off from your regular duties yeah. and unfortunately these this person that asked that question they have an invisible injury right yeah. and it's not easy to diagnose and to see you know uh just like physical injury sometimes there's other complications and it might take three months it might take six months it might take a year it might take longer and mm -hmm. nobody nobody's making you feel guilty jc for being in your chair with your leg up right now because you can see it. Yeah. So I think this person just needs to have some compassion for themselves yeah, and, and know yeah. that what they're dealing with is something that no one else can see. And so you can't really take their judgment for what you're going through, you know? Exactly. Like, and our minds focus on the negative things and they tell us all the, the bad things about ourselves. Um, we're, we're, our, we're, we are our own uh, biggest worst critics, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you're right. Like they, they give themselves a break. Uh, if you need, if you need to take the time off, if you need to take another year off, do it, focus on getting better. Um, don't, don't feel guilty. You're not lazy. You're not useless. Um, 
you're you're taking care of yourself and you're, you're allowing yourself to to get back to a point where you're healed again like casey said or sorry dan said um i've, I've got a brace on my knee and i've got crutches that show that okay this is why she's not at work um if only we could have such a an open way of saying hey this is why that person's not at work but um yeah take the time you need yeah absolutely and um i know um i know this this question's kind of been answered throughout this podcast but um it was asked a couple episodes ago and um the question is uh ptsd from a okay. woman's perspective how is, is it okay. different so I think uh, it, it's different in the way that it's reacted to. Um, uh, and I'm going to go into like nerd um, central right now. Um, I just recently did uh, a course on uh, women's psychology. And so like, the research is, um, I remember going through the research. And one of the biggest things is that for a lot of women, it's actually less likely for uh, a doctor to take a woman's concerns and complaints to any illness, whether it be like physical or mental, uh, seriously. Um, and, and on top of that, uh, women are basically, we're, we're given this rap where we're supposed to be like emotional and stable. Women are like the ones that cry and we're, we're the ones that are like weaker. And, uh, and then, so like when, when you look at it, there, there's the hidden stigma about the fact that like, I know as a woman, like, uh, what, when I was dealing with my uh, mental health stuff, I, I had this thing in the back of my head going, all these people think I just can't deal with it because I'm a girl. Right. And, and, and that, that was my judgment of other people's judgment of me. And I, I but I do know, for example, um, dealing with anger, uh, uh, di different episodes and stuff like that. People don't like seeing women angry. Like uh, I'm supposed to be breaking down and crying and like, going and hugging someone for support or something like that whereas uh, when i get angry i take an axe to a wood pile and like chop wood for three hours because i'm just so furious i'd like probably like put a hole through the wall or something if i didn't do it but it's not something that like i'm allowed to express as a woman because i'm not supposed to be aggressive according to society but uh the good thing is is that research actually proves that um men and women are really aren't that different. Like if you, if you break us down to the, the bare bones of things, um, there's more difference between um, Dan and Ian than there is between a man and a woman, right? It's the individual differences that um, are more significant statistically than uh, the differences between gender. So PTSD, it, it's, there's individual differences for sure, but uh, the difference between um, a woman suffering is, your suffering is yours, but it's not going to be any different just because you're a woman. Um, it's just maybe someone's not going to be listening to you as, uh, as willingly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, uh, that's great. Uh, that's all. That's all the questions I have for this episode. Um, is there anything else you want to kind of share with the audience there, JC? Anything at all? It, the ground is yours now. Um, Thanks for putting me on the spot there, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anytime. I just want to reiterate the fact that, like, I like the fact that we're doing that, or you, you guys are doing this podcast, and I like the fact that uh, you guys asked me to come on it. Um, I think it, it's a good first step, and I think it's a good um, concept in the fact that we're here, we're trying to talk about this stuff, either to give people an outlet um, to make them help them understand, make them feel less alone. But I, I really just think that we need to continue. Like every one of your listeners, you said you now have like 70 listeners, over 70 listeners. Yeah. Which uh, that's do, awesome. Yes. Right. And um, I think that if each and every one of them and, and each and every one of us made the effort to like care for the other people around them and just like care for everybody else's mental health, take the time to, listen to someone not so you can respond but so you can actually listen to them and see what they're going through i think that um it could really help people out and it's a cliche saying like you can't change the world but you can change someone's world i, I think it, it's something to be said for that because ptsd 
or mental health itself, like whether it be depression or stress or even just grief, um, one thing I've found with it, it's, it's an isolating, it's a selfish thing, right? You focus on yourself and we're all fighting our own battles, but like if we each like helped everybody else out, I think it would be less of a battle and we'd be able to like make a difference to some people. Yeah. Yeah. It's day by day, week by week, right? Just take it one step yeah. at a time. Well, thank you very much, JC. Um, once with these questions, uh, if anybody from the audience members wants to ask us questions, there is a portion on uh, the podcast where you can ask questions or you can um, uh, PM us um, individually. It doesn't matter who you reach out to, uh, Dan, Ian, or myself. Um, yeah, we'll be able to answer these questions on the next podcast. So thanks again, JC, uh, for joining yeah, us. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, and sharing your thoughts and uh, in your background, uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, you have a, a, a good wide experience uh, level um, as well. So we're really happy that you, you came on. And um, from Dane and uh, Ian and uh, myself, yes, happy, birthday. Wish you happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> I know you came on your birthday to do this. So we really, really appreciate that. Thank you very uh, much. I'm glad to come on. Thank you guys for inviting me. I just want to add one more thing uh, to what JC said. No there. Um, you were yes. saying about, um, you know, caring for each other. And sometimes that's not an easy conversation to have or to start. And no. one suggestion I have uh, in closing here is just share this show with, with one person or as many people as you, as you like, and that might be a good way to, to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Share this, the show, share this episode and let's, let's start talking with each other and, and uh, avoid the isolation. Like you said, JC. Yeah. yeah absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. And uh, thanks for joining us at uh, IGY six. I got your six. Happy and birthday. Stay tuned for next week. <laughs>